This episode was a little bit different and we're not sharing a mantra this time, but instead, Melanie is going to share a technique that she uses with each of her clients to individualize how you can tap into your body and check in with what you need right now. So listen in and find out what that technique is a little later on in the show. Let's go meet Melanie Klein. Welcome to the Handle Everything podcast, where people who have a lot on their plate come to learn how to open doors to opportunities by handling it all in a healthy way. I'm your host, Tara Bradford, a former ICU nurse turned executive coach. Melanie Klein is a sought-after empowerment coach and respected thought leader in the areas of authentic empowerment, visibility, and body confidence. She is also a successful writer, speaker, and professor of sociology and women's studies. Based on over two decades of professional and personal work, Melanie integrates her backgrounds in mindfulness and embodied wisdom with her academic expertise and advocacy work. In this way, she offers a holistic and unique pathway to personal freedom and prosperity, one that is customized and designed to each individual person. You can find out more at melaniecline.com. Welcome to the show, Melanie. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. So I start off every episode by asking, how full is your plate? And I know your answer to that question is going to be a little bit different than normal because we are in the middle of self-isolating for the coronavirus pandemic. So why don't you answer with how full is your plate right now? My plate is spilling over onto the table. <laughs> it's very, very full. It tends to be quite full anyways. And yet I've been very good to make sure I have structures in place that are very supportive to everything that I hold and everything I hold for others. Given the time that we're in now with the COVID-19 and shelter in place, I also have my son at home who is homeschooling and will say there is an incredible amount of structure with his school. So he's very accountable for his learning. You know, he's with his classmates and teachers. And yet, you know, there are meals to be made and there are more dishes than I've ever seen in my adult life and clothes. And I don't have those normal support structures, which includes the other families and mothers at the school where we oftentimes will tag team pickups and drop-offs and after-school activities. And I also don't have the other supports in my life, including having someone clean my house every week. So things are definitely accelerated and are condensed. So there is more and there's less time and there is less support. But I will say now that we're in the beginning of the third week, things have really shifted. And I noticed yesterday there was a kind of a new feeling in my body and there was a new spaciousness. So Given all of that, there is still an opportunity to find ways to carve space, to make sure that there is a sense of being grounded. It just sometimes takes a matter of kind of like twiddling with the dials and figuring out what that's going to look like. Absolutely. And one thing you didn't mention that I want our listeners to hear is that you're also still working during this time. How are you juggling work in the middle of all of these other things that seem more front and center because they're not part of your normal routine? How is work falling into all of this as well? So I've continued to teach a couple classes at the university level online and in person. The one that I teach in person is now online. So those classes I can go ahead and actually tend to at any point. So they 
they're sort of on the periphery. The main structure in my workday are my client calls. And I tend to book my clients anywhere from four to eight weeks out. So right now I'm still in the midst of a schedule that was really created well before COVID-19 came into play. And so one thing that I'm doing is making sure that if I am not available for my son at his break times, that there is food ready for him while I'm with clients. And that from now on, I'm scheduling things in a way that very much matches his rhythms in terms of breakfast and lunch and so on. But just staying very, very focused and like, okay, we need to have a structure and remembering that for me, I actually really enjoy structure and having things that kind of are placeholders in my day. So rather than feeling kind of overwhelmed by his schedule and mine, I'm finding sort of a comfort in it at a time where so many things are kind of unraveling. It allows me to have an anchor. So just remembering in those moments when it feels very full that that's actually beneficial for me to have an anchor as opposed to having a void. So that's incredibly useful for me. It's just really knowing how I operate and what is beneficial to me. And that is not true for everyone, right? So I think it's important for people to really get an understanding of what allows me to operate you know, in an efficient way, what is something that allows me to thrive? And that's going to look different for everyone and their families. Absolutely. And you sound very grounded and like you are aware and being mindful of all of the things going on and all of the feelings that you're feeling. Do you ever find yourself feeling overwhelmed or stressed? Yeah, you should have talked to me last Wednesday. (laughs) (laughs) Last Wednesday was, I think, my you know, it was my big day. It was like a little bit of a break. There was definitely a crack. I just felt like I had not been out all day. I generally, my rhythm has been where, you know, when I have clients, I book it in such a way that I'm able to go out and take a walk in between, make sure I'm getting exercise and fresh air. And with my son, who's 11, you know, he doesn't feel comfortable having me leave the house while he's at school. And I understand that, right? I mean, he's right on the, I think the cusp of that age where he could potentially be left alone. And so I started to feel the first 10 days that I almost had a newborn, that kind of thing where, oh, I can't get anything done. Everything is between the nap time or the feeding time and I can't get out, that sort of thing. And so last Wednesday, there was just this moment of extreme frustration of like, here it is, it's six o'clock at night. I have not stepped outside of the house. I haven't moved my body and there's a meal to be made. And so I just had a moment of just acknowledging that there has to be a place where the steam gets let out, right? That we are in the midst of so much rapid fire change and also recognizing that my nervous system had been on for two weeks straight, you know, kind of keeping pace with what was happening. There were so many changes like, are we going to shelter in place? Are the schools closing? And then, you know, transitioning very quickly that I really had had zero downtime. It wasn't just that day, but it was weeks of leading up to that moment of feeling that there's just no break in my psyche. There's no break in my emotional body. There's no break happening at all. And so I allowed myself to have that moment. I went out for a walk with him. And we also then, that was the one time we ordered takeout, right? I was like, (laughs) you know what? Tonight we ordered takeout. So that was solved. And it was interesting from that point forward, there hasn't been a huge difference in the schedule, but there's been a huge difference in me. I think I have just continued to really honor the feelings as they come up. I have found ways to replace old routines with new ones that can still kind of meet those particular needs. So yesterday, for example, I had an hour where I normally would have on my own taken a walk. Instead, I hula hooped in my living room while listening to a Brene Brown podcast on grief. 
for example. Like how else can I move? How else can I, you know, (laughs) move energy? How can I put good things into my brain and into my emotional and energy body and my physical body under these new circumstances? And it was kind of a remarkable moment yesterday afternoon. We were sitting there in our avocado chairs on our balcony. One of our great friends who's a photographer had come by and she's doing a whole COVID-19 social distancing kind of photo shoot. So she was down on the street on the top of our car, taking photos of us on the balcony. And, you know, he was reading, I was working on my laptop and I went, wow, gosh, two weeks ago at this time, I was still in my pajamas and I didn't even have a full schedule that particular week. I literally had a couple of days the first week he was homeschooling where it'd be 3 p.m. I was like, I'm not on my pajamas. You know, again, I feel like I did when I had a newborn. And I went, wow. And here I had a full day. We're doing a photo shoot and I'm dressed and, you know, we have some room to breathe. And it was just that kind of recognition of like, okay, this is part of the cycle of adapting to new circumstances mm-hmm. and not making how I felt two weeks ago or last Wednesday wrong, not judging it, not feeling ashamed of it, but also not staying in it either, but just kind of really honoring the progression and the phases of grief, of overwhelm and adjustment that's been happening. And that's been, I think, one of the most helpful things to deal with those moments that bubble up is to recognize that they're temporary and then they're in the process of really transmuting into something different and allowing them to do so. Yes. And then reflecting back on it after you've put some space and time in between you and that event. And just to go back to it real quick, at the very beginning, when you first started to feel stressed, at what point did it come into your awareness? Like, (laughs) oh my gosh, Wednesday is a bad day. Did you know in the moment leading up to it as it was escalating? Yes. And I love that question because, you know, one of the things that I lead my one-on-one clients through, as well as a couple groups that I'm leading for folks through this time is to begin to tap into what are the physical sensations that alert you to the fact you're about to go into overwhelm or that anxiety is coming on, right? If we can really get attuned to our bodies, the body sends those signals, right? And so for me, I start to feel a tightness in my chest. I start to feel a constriction of my breath. I start to feel like heaviness in my belly, my solar plexus area. I feel my shoulders moving up towards my ears where it's really, it's almost like a clamping down. And I started to feel that all throughout the day, that particular Wednesday. And then by that evening, because I did not have the space or the room in my schedule to actually move it out is when it kind of, there was that crack, right? And so what I'm being even more attuned to now than ever in my life is turning up the dial on that awareness and going, okay, I have to be very proactive. When I start to even feel that tension creeping in or when I start to feel that constriction across my chest, I can take just a couple moments to breathe, to pause, right? To go ahead and just clear so that it doesn't add up the way it did last week. It kind of just kept multiplying throughout the day. And there was a part of me of like, oh, if I can just get to a walk or if I can just do this, as opposed to remembering, right? No, we don't have to wait until we have an hour to go move, or we don't even have to wait until we have 20 minutes to be able to do a quote, formal meditation. At any moment, we can take a breath. At any moment, we can close our eyes, right? And just come in and stop taking in all of the, you know, stimulation around us. There are very simple and effective and quick ways that we can proactively avoid getting to a breaking point. 
Absolutely. When you were telling the story, you were able to solve it in that moment. So it's six o'clock at night and a meal has to be made and you haven't been outside yet. And you shifted gears, what seemed like pretty quickly in your story. So you were able to go for a walk and order takeout and solve both of those problems, even though the stress had built up throughout the day. So do you think it was your mindfulness practices that you just mentioned, like taking a deep breath, pausing and centering yourself and giving yourself permission to do it without having to carve out time? Would that be one of the biggest stress relievers to kind of not blow the top off, but let a little bit out so that you can move forward and access those creative solutions to the problem? Yeah, I think the mindfulness, you know, having the awareness, but also, you know, going into the body and allowing the triggers and activations to alert me and to listen to them at that time to, you know, already kind of respond to them when they're in a more nascent stage as opposed to kind of a crucial stage later. That's hugely important. And also to just continue to do these practices of embodiment and mindfulness on the regular when there isn't an activation or there isn't a charge. Because when you're talking about creating that space, right, that is something that comes through practice. We're not supposed to just practice when, you know, shit is hitting the fan. We want to practice. I mean, that's part of the reason of like having an established meditation or mindful movement practice is to kind of prepare ourselves for those moments where there's massive conflict or we have an activation or we're challenged in some way so that there's enough mental space to even move, step back even slightly, go, oh, okay, here's one of those things and I know what to do. So for me, that ability to go into solution and not make it about a big story or go into a drama, because I certainly was on the cusp of wanting to go into a drama last Wednesday, like, look at all this stuff that's happening to me and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And I was like, okay, here's that thing. Let's just go into a solution. Like, how do we solve that? All of that had to do with literally decades of training that I've been doing on the regular to be able to identify it and be able to identify it because there's enough space in my thought processes that I can even see it and then take a different action. So you've written two books, Yoga and Body Image and Yoga Rising. What initially led you to lean into these topics? Because I know in the beginning, we've been talking about moving your body, getting outside and staying grounded and aligned and mindful. And yoga incorporates all of those things. How did you get started putting those together? You know, it started a very long time ago. I would say going back 26 years at this point, I really began, I think, the journey of consciousness raising and beginning to unravel the truth about my place in the larger social structure when I was introduced to sociology and feminism in my sociology of women class at a local community college back in 1994. And there was just such a massive sea change that came from the awareness of like, oh, I'm an individual and I have individual agency, yet I am an individual that is part of a society, a society that has been formed by humans, but also that then has an impact on humans. And there was just a mind-blowing moment there for me in terms of realizing that the way my life had been going up until that point was not solely based on who I was or what I was capable of, but rather, you know, as a woman of a certain social class and ethnic background, my experiences were a result of the systems and structures in place 
my identity was formed as a result of, you know, being of a particular family in a particular neighborhood with certain peers. And there was sort of a moment of liberation and a really massive desire to begin to impact social change in a way that created more equity and opportunity for marginalized populations. And then when I walked into my first yoga class a couple of years later, I understood on a really deep visceral level that what was happening there was a part of that equation. And when I say that equation, what I mean is that process of kind of unraveling what we have taken for granted up until that moment, unraveling the patterns and you know thought processes that we really hadn't questioned up until that point and starting to see where they originated from, the impact that they created and being able to make a choice about, okay, who do I actually want to be? How do I want to show up in the world? What do I want to contribute? And what kind of world do I actually want to live in? And to me, it made sense that these two things would come together because in my academic studies and my social advocacy work, I was really understanding the larger kind of macro environment I was living in and seeing my place in it. And then it was in these embodiment practices and mindfulness practices that I was learning how to kind of be in a new way. I've said many times that, you know, concepts of self-love or social change can be understood, I think, very easily. We can intellectualize a lot of those concepts, but to actually be different, to feel different, to have a new way of relating to ourselves and practicing forgiveness and beginning to practice compassion and empathy, I think are much harder to do. And the equation is not complete unless you can understand and you can embody. So for me, I put those things together. And one of my big focal points was, all right, these tools and practices have the potential to not only liberate the individual, but more importantly, to liberate the collective and allow us to reimagine what that even looks like. Everyone should have access to these practices. And I found that, you know, one of the big barriers to entry, if you will, around accessibility was representation. That many people that I wanted to share the practice with at the time, and this was in the late 90s, early 2000s, you know, had sort of been exposed to certain imagery and certain ideas of who practiced yoga, what a yoga body looked like, and felt like, oh, well, that's not for me. I'm either not thin, I'm not young, I'm not flexible, or I'm not white. People like us don't do those things. There were all of these stereotypes and sort of preconceived notions about who practices, where they practice, and what a practice looks like. And for me, it felt really important to begin to challenge that representation in order to create more access for people who at that time were not kind of incorporating regular practices into their lives. That's incredible what you're doing. And I agree with you. And I love all of your stuff on social media about everybody is a yoga body. There's no specific type of yoga body. We can all do yoga. Absolutely. If we can breathe <laughs> and write and we can begin to observe our thoughts, then we can practice. And that was the other part is not only were we seeing certain representations of yoga practitioners and, you know, really idealizing, and I would even say fetishizing the quote yoga body, there was also a very one-dimensional and misguided representation of what a yoga practice looks like. And I think it's pretty safe to say that even now in mainstream representation, it's still sort of shown as kind of, you know, sort of some version of aerobics or Cirque du Soleil or gymnastics or performance. 
And I think for a lot of people, they're put off and scared away from the idea of like, oh, I could never do that. And it's like, actually, no, it can be very simple. And I have to say, over the course of 26 years of practice, I find that the simplicity of a lot of it can be the most potent. And I also recognize at this point in my life, right, you know, I'm 26 years older, I'm a parent, I have a full professional life that I don't have 90 minutes to go into a studio and practice, you know, vinyasa yoga and come out sweaty and all of that. For me, I certainly have been tripling down on all my practices since shelter in place and, you know, school closures have happened as a way to stay very centered and grounded not only for myself, but for my family and for my clients and my students and my community. But that practice isn't, you know, a 90 minute like luxurious practice with music and incense. My mat is rolled out near my bed, looking out toward the balcony, and I will take five minutes here, 10 minutes here, 15 minutes there. And, you know, wherever I can bring it in to keep my body moving, but more importantly, to keep my focus very, very anchored. So that I don't slip into a lot of the collective fear and panic that we've been feeling. Because I know that if I slip into that, not only is it detrimental for my own mental health, but that I can't serve and guide and support the people that are entrusting me to do that at this time. Those are great tips on how to incorporate movement into your lifestyle instead of feeling like, okay, my yoga studio is closed, so I can't do yoga anymore, but really making it a practice. And I think that's something unique about yoga that's different from any other exercise. Like I go to spinning classes in New York City, or I used to go before right. all of this happened, and I don't have a bike at my house, so I can't exactly continue that practice at home. But yoga is something that you can do anywhere. Not only is it something we can do anywhere, I think that you know, it really offers us an opportunity to be very creative and to meet ourselves exactly where we're at and to grow with ourselves. So, you know, we need a very small space, essentially the size of a yoga mat to practice. And while I love using props for people who like variations of poses and want to be supported, even if we don't have those, it's like we can use pillows, we can use, you know, I've known people who've used jugs, like there's so many things we can do, bands, jump ropes, like if we need things, t-shirts, towels, we can roll up towels for under our hips if we're doing a pigeon pose on the floor. There's so much creativity and while right now there is a tremendous amount of opportunity for people to practice both meditation and yoga online, right? We know tons of teachers who are offering classes via Zoom. There's live streaming. I really encourage people to obviously support the teachers that they love. And it's important for them to kind of be with a collective, certainly, right? Practice online in a group. But I also really want to invite people to take this as an opportunity to develop their own individual practice. When we practice on our own, we really have an opportunity to let all these ideas of what it should look like and how long it should last and what we should be doing to fall away. And I think it's always, you know, very, very serving of our life in general, but especially now when old routines and rhythms have been disrupted and they're turning into something new and we're trying to figure out, well, what do we want things to look like? That time on our mat can be an opportunity to explore the practice of letting go, surrendering, recreating, listening, reimagining, being creative, not being attached. And all of that serves the bigger things in our life, especially during this pandemic of like, how do we cope? 
what does it look like? Can we let go of our attachments and replace it with something that's actually going to be more nourishing and serving? And so if we practice on our own, we can really, really go deeply into taking a look at our relationship with all of those things. I love all the language that you just used about what do I want it to look like instead of what do I not want anymore? Everything Melanie just said for our listeners who are listening in, go back and listen to that last section because it's all so empowering. And I know that empowering others is one of the things you're really good at and also the core of what you do in your business. And so as we are all in this COVID-19 situation together, what would you say to everyone, men and women, who are listening in about showing up authentically or showing up as yourself, celebrating yourself and your body, regardless of the relationship that you've had with your body in the past? What are some tips or mantras that have served you and your clients in the past? You know, my work has always been about truly deeply and authentically empowering and not enabling, not creating templates, not creating a formula for anyone to follow. It's been really about unabashedly, bravely, and unapologetically discovering who they are and what actually makes sense for them and their lives and their families as well. And that message hasn't changed. In fact, it's just magnified right now, meaning we're getting so much information coming through our feeds about what to do during shelter in place, how to use the time, what not to be doing. And I have to say that first week, it felt like an onslaught. I was so inundated. It was overwhelming to my system as well. Like all these people like jumping in and I was like, whoo, oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Right. And I was like, where is my place in all of this? Oh my gosh. It just felt so thick. So I was just breathing and kind of leaned out. And there was that moment of like, that's what feels good to me right now. Right. Where there were a lot of people leaning in, which was great. That's what they felt called to do. I had to be so clear on, I don't feel called to do that right now. I need to lean out and actually have more space. And so that is kind of just a small sample of what I encourage my clients to do. And what I would advise listeners is just find your rhythm, like really tune into what are you feeling in your body? What signal are you receiving? Is this too much? Does this feel good? Does this feel nourishing? Does this feel off-putting? Does that recommendation by that one friend in your Facebook feed about how you should structure your child's day, does that make sense for you and your family? And to know that this is a point where all systems and structures are completely unraveling and that there's something really wonderful about that, right? If we're looking about creating a paradigm shift for ourselves in society, I mean, I've never seen anything in my lifetime, right, that is conducive to that as this time that we're having right now. And mm -hmm. so it's like the rules are kind of being thrown out the window. If there was ever a time to kind of harness your authenticity and empower yourself in a way that makes sense for you, now is the time. So it's just don't apologize for what you're choosing to do to cope, to grieve, to recreate. Don't compare yourself to that other family, to that other person. Don't compare yourself to, you know, what anybody else is eating or how much they're moving and what kind of movement they're doing. It's like, what really, if you tap in, what feels like it makes the most sense to you? This is a really wonderful time for people to look at who they really are and not, you know, who they're supposed to be. One of my really wonderful high-level VIP clients, we were speaking yesterday and she's like, you know, this is amazing. My kids and I get to actually wake up 
in a rhythm that makes sense for our bodies. We get to structure our days in a way that makes sense for our flow and our personalities. And she's an incredible artist, you know, and she's like, I'm actually finding new ways and new spaces to create art that I would have never considered before. Because she's like, I was expected to be caught up in the minutia of everyday life and playdates and after school activities. And, you know, my art was to only happen here. And the other day she set up her artist perch in the entryway of her house while her children were working on their schoolwork and her husband was making a meal. And she's like, and there was this integration and it was kind of very much out of the box that they had created before. And she's like, and it felt so wonderful to like own this creative space. It felt so wonderful to not allow my area of genius to go by the wayside. And so I know that's a long answer, but I want to give examples to listeners. It's like, how can you really kind of defy some of the conventions that have been put on us and the ones that we've taken on unconsciously and really take a look at who we are and what works for us so that when we emerge into the newness, right, as the world opens up, which will never be the same, we are very clear on what we want to contribute to what we want to bring forth and the actions that we want to take, not only for ourselves and for our families, but for the collective, like how can we take action? What makes sense for us? That's incredible that she's been able to do that. And I think integration is a word that stood out to me that you said, and it's something I've been feeling too. It's like, everything's kind of coming together. And it is that natural flow and stepping into listening to your body and letting yourself trust yourself to know what is best for you right now in this moment. And as we wind down this segment of the interview, one question I like to answer for our listeners and maybe for some of them who have never worked with a coach before and don't understand how it works is how do your clients know when they've made it or graduated from working with you? Because sometimes some of these things can feel intangible in the description of what a coach does. So I'd love to hear how you see your clients kind of graduating or taking it to the next level. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely a lot of sometimes seemingly intangible. So one of the things that, you know, we do at the beginning is kind of, we look at what goals they have and already imagine how will you know if you've gotten there? What does it look like? What does it feel like to be empowered? What does it look like? What does it feel like to be in full confidence and clarity, right? So that they already have kind of a vision of that. And they can use that as a marker when they get closer and closer or they embody that more. They can go back to that, right? I'm also very much about having them keep records and data points for themselves because there have been points where, you know, a client's been like, I feel like nothing's happened. I'm regressing. And I was like, oh, you just have to go back to, you know, this log that you've kept and just randomly pick an entry to see, like, take a look at yourself, listen to yourself, right? And they're like, oh, okay, yes, I can see it. I can read it. I can feel it, Right. But I yeah. would say ultimately, it's just that they really feel like they have a sense of ownership over their lives, right? That they know that whatever situation comes at them, that they will be able to respond in a way that serves them, that supports them, that they will be able to move into solution. I think really that is the best way to describe it is that they recognize like, okay, you know what? I'm prepared for whatever may come my way. It may be something new, maybe something I've never experienced before, but I stand so firmly within myself. I have so much ownership of my life. I have such clear accountability of my actions 
that whatever it is, I'm going to be able to meet it in a way that's very conscious. I'm going to be able to use my tools to breathe and move through it with a new kind of ease and grace that I didn't experience before. It does not have to take me out. That's wonderful. And I know just from being your friend, from hearing the stories that you shared in this podcast interview about clients that you've worked with, I know that you are changing people's lives and empowering them to change their lives for the better. And the biggest thing I will say is that not only are they empowering themselves and having their own lives change, that they then have the ability to be role models for others and that they can take actions to change the lives of others. For me, even when I started teaching at a university 18 years ago and then opened up my calendar to private clients, you know, many, many years ago, the whole thing was about how can we use this to really create ripples all the way out, that this isn't just for us or our families, the sense of empowerment or ownership, but this is for everyone. And I know that, you know, my clients, whether they're working in the entertainment industry or politics, or they're opening their own businesses, or they go into teaching, you know, that they are using these tools to then empower others within the context of their own work and their own life. And I think that that is really the most exciting thing for me is knowing how far out this work spreads into the world. That's wonderful. And as we end the interview, I always like to ask some rapid fire questions just to have a little fun. And I want you to say the first thing that comes into your mind. Okay. I'm so wordy <laughs> that these are hard for me, but I love that. I'll take the I challenge. <laughs> okay. What does it mean to feel successful to you? Free. What is something you've accomplished that you're most proud of? My son. What are you most looking forward to this year? Gathering together in community in person and celebrating life. What advice would you give to your younger self? Never doubt your inner voice. What's your favorite book? Communion by Bell Hooks. And what's the best way our listeners can get in contact with you? They can head over to my Instagram and send me a DM, or they can go to my website and fill out the contact form. Because I realize sometimes people send me DMs and they go to my other inbox and I don't see them for six months. <laughs> so <laughs> those are the two ways, Instagram Amazing. and website. Well, thank you, Melanie, so much for being on the show. I'll be putting Melanie's website and social media links in the show notes, so you'll have to check it out. And I hope that you and your son and your whole family continue to stay safe and healthy right now during these really difficult times. Thanks so much for having me. Everyone be well, be safe, be happy. What did you think? If you want to let me know what you'd like to hear more of on the show, just send me a message on Instagram at Tara Ray Bradford. And if you want to check out the links and everything from this show, go on over to handleeverything.com. Thank you again to Melanie Klein for being on the show and thank you to everyone listening in. This podcast wouldn't exist if you weren't here supporting it. And if you'd like to help us reach more listeners like you, we would be so incredibly grateful if you hit subscribe and leave us a review. From me and the podcast team, make today the best day. Hey, in case I haven't said thank you enough yet, thanks for listening to the Handle Everything podcast at handleeverything.com.